everybody. Welcome on into the I Want to Know podcast. I'm your host, Greg Jones. I'm the one leading you on this inquisitive departure into audio wisdom. First of all, excuse my voice for the day. I'm battling a bit of a cold. I apologize. I hope it's not too annoying, but the show must go on and on it shall go. Today, my guest is David P. Ward. He's a former Border Patrol agent, and I just want you guys to know beforehand, I know some people are touchy about this subject. Uh, we are not here to offend. We are not here to uh, pull a Trump card, pun intended. We're not looking to deport all Muslims. David has uh, some very interesting looks on Border Patrol, national security, and immigration, what's causing it, what we can do to, to help things out. Anyways, I think it's worth a listen no matter what side of the fence, another pun intended, you are on. Uh, facts are facts, and, and he presents some, whether you uh, agree with his solutions for the facts or not. So I encourage you to listen. I encourage you to send in your, your responses and your questions, and uh, maybe maybe we can spark another discussion. But without any further ado, I am being joined on Skype by David P. Ward. David is one of the directors with the National Association of Former Border Patrol Agents, an organization of former Border Patrol supervisors and managers, which advocates secure borders and interior immigration enforcement. Retiring in 2009, David has over 33 years' experience with the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and U.S. Border Patrol as an agent and field manager of enforcement operations. He founded and was commander of the U.S. Border Patrol's Search, Trauma, and Rescue Team and has quite unique experiences covering both border security issues and interior enforcement. <sighs> Mouthful. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. You uh, definitely sound very qualified in the subject of border enforcement. First of all, can you can you kind of give us a little info about the association? Well, the, the National Association of Former Border Patrol Officers, as you mentioned, is a composite of several uh, different types of managers that were in the uh, legacy Immigration Naturalization Service and the U.S. Border Patrol. And uh, we comprise of commissioners, chiefs, uh, field managers, uh, field supervisors, and our focus is to bring the public aware as to the issues uh, regarding immigration in the United States as it is today from uh, our uh, experience. And our experience goes on thousands of years with the, um, the guys that we have in the National Station of Former Border Patrol Officers. Okay, so there's a lot of, uh, lot of background experience. There, there's a tremendous amount. Uh, we do have a board of directors, but within that we have uh, – uh, hundreds and hundreds of uh, border patrol agents that belong to the organization. Wow. Okay. Um, what I what I really want to know is what you know. You're retired now, but uh, when you were an agent, what was a, a normal day like for you? Was it you know searching for El Chapo's tunnels, or was it waiting to get a call, or how did that work? Well, it was a composite of things uh, in the border patrol. Now, I have two different backgrounds. One is the border patrol. And then later on, I became the uh, agent in charge for criminal investigations for uh, immigration matters. But to, to relate to your question about the border, uh, we would be out in the field uh, after uh, getting an assignment to a particular location, and it was uh, the agent's responsibility to uh, address any situations that occurred on that, in that area. Now, when I was in El Paso, I, I was in El Paso and also Santa Teresa, New Mexico, where I was the assistant agent in charge for the Santa Teresa station. Mm -hmm. And it, it, as you well know, that uh, El Paso sits uh, just north of Juarez, Mexico, which had, is probably one of the more violent cities of Mexico. Matter of fact, probably one of the more violent cities in the in the world. Yeah. 
And just west of that is Santa Teresa. Now, it's a very remote area. It's a pretty much desert. There's a town called Sullen Park that sits just uh, northeast of uh, Santa Teresa. Now, one of the areas uh, uh, just south of the border there is called Anapra. And Anapra is what you would imagine as a very impoverished area of Mexico, but it is also ripe with every kind of criminal uh, mindset you can come up with. When I was down there, we had uh, train robberies. They tried to derail trains because the Southern Pacific Rail Line runs right along the border there, and they would deliberately uh, derail trains to rob them of, uh, you know, the goods and products that were in there. But wow. in, addition, in addition, they were also setting us up for some serious uh, ramifications if uh, they had a derailment. As a matter of fact, I did something uh, many, many years ago with uh, Scott Pelley with CBS regarding the dangers of these derailments. If there was hazardous materials that were on that train, how it would affect the entire city of El Paso, wires and everything else. So this is the kind of people we were dealing with. But now it's gone to the point where uh, the cartels run everything that's going on there. Several years ago, you, I'm sure you're aware that there were a number of women found murdered, and that was in Anapra where these bodies were found. I think the numbers mm-hmm. were w- well over 100 that they found in these mass graves. Yeah, I remember hearing the news about that. Right. That wow! So, I mean, that sounds like just an insane. Uh, it sounds more than just you know some dangerous cartels. That sounds like a war zone. Well, it actually is. Um, there were uh, when our guys go out in the field, they do not know what to expect, uh, and they can't be complacent. And our guys weren't complacent because we came across everything. Where you know there were shootings all the time, there were robberies, there were groups of illegal aliens coming in all along our border. In Santa Teresa, that where I was responsible, we had 133 agents. And we had 65 miles of open border that we were responsible for. And, of course, the cartels exploit that openness. To this day, they're still doing the same, where they would send in groups of, say, 8 to 10 uh, smuggled aliens, and it would, uh, our agents would be distracted to take care of that. But in the process, that was actually a sacrificial smuggling load because the real load of narcotics came in behind them where the, when, they, when they know the agents weren't going to be there. That is when they would bring things in. And we also had issues with the Mexican military down there that they would deliberately set off our sensors. They would come north into the United States, set off our sensors. Our guys go running to where the sensors are, and the cartels would be bringing them in at the opposite direction. So they're working with the Mexican military? Yes, absolutely. Wow, all kinds of corruption. That must have been the hardest thing to track down because you don't know who to believe and what sensors to believe and – no, it, it's very, very difficult. The guys have their hands full on a daily basis. Although they have beefed up security somewhat on the border, it's not nearly what we need. Now, Donald Trump has talked about building a wall along the entire border. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a feel-good solution, but it's not going to be the solution. In uh, 2006, the Secure Border Initiative was authorized by the U.S. Congress to put a wall along the entire U.S. border, all 1,960 miles of it. That's mm-hmm. just the southern border. Right. However, to this day, there's only 645 miles of fencing on that border, and only 14 miles of it actually meet the specifications that were spelled out in the Secure Border Initiative. In other words, it was a three-tier fence, and that three-tier fence only exists in San Diego. Huh. That's insane. Uh, I, you would think that uh, how much could a fence be? And if it's been approved by Congress, why why isn't the funding there? 
Well, the funding was there. And uh, they had a couple different corporations that they were working with. I think, uh, uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I believe it was Boeing. They were in charge of the, the technology aspect of it, where they would be using unmanned aircraft, uh, uh, cameras, wireless sensors, all sorts of different things. And it just never came around to where they needed to be uh, as far as the contract went. So eventually, I believe it was Janet Napolitano canceled the entire project. So to this day, they only have the uh, 600 miles, as I mentioned. And of that, only 300 miles is actually pedestrian fencing, in other words, designed to keep pedestrians out, a single-tier pedestrian fence. The other 300 miles is vehicle barrier fence. Of course, civilians can come right across it. And then you have the 14 miles of two-tier, uh, three-tier tents fence and then 32 miles of two-tier fence. That's all we have on this border. Now, even I mean, a wall to me sounds like a uh, expensive and not so effective band aid to this problem. And I don't know if you're a fan of the Fast and the Furious movies, but in one of them, you know, part of the storyline was driving a car under the border through these tunnels. Like, are these tunnels as as uh, big and extensive as the movies make them seem? To well, there, of course, there's you know a little bit of Hollywood uh, elaboration on here, but. Sure. There are very elaborate tunnels along the border. Uh, the cartels have uh, no funding problems whatsoever. You take uh, Chapo Guzman, who was in charge of the Sinaloa cartel, and one of the wealthiest uh, people in the world. Money is no object to him, and he has the best technology to, to build tunnels. You take his last prison escape, they were able to build a tunnel right underneath his cell in this massive prison. How? How do you do that? You have to have technology. You have to have engineers. You have to have architects. You have to have all sorts of things, plus the worker bees, to make these tunnels. So, yes, those tunnels do exist, but not to the extent where you can be driving cars through them. You can get a lot of narcotics through them, but you can, I don't believe there's uh, any that are the extent where cars are being driven through. Okay. So is, is most of the stuff coming over, is that underground or above ground? You know, it's it's – Everything. It's uh, above ground and underground. And I'll tell you why. Um, because the border is still open, particularly out in Arizona and the uh, Tano O'Donham uh, Reservation and some other areas out there, the cartels have free access. They have established uh, LPOPs, which are lookout observation posts along the border in the United States. They have encampments in the United States on various mountain peaks huh. along the southern border. So they keep track of everything that we do. They use uh, satellite radios. They have uh, uh, solar panels to keep their, uh, their electronics recharged. I mean, they have the technology above and beyond what our guys got, in addition to the weaponry that they have, which is above and beyond what our guys have. So would you say that this is being fueled by the, drug, the war on drugs? Is this a part of the problem? Well, there's a couple different things going on. We have an immig illegal immigration problem, and it's based on the access to things people can get in the United States, such as jobs, medical care, education, uh, government entitlements, welfare, you name it, they got it. Now, if those magnets were taken away, you would see illegal immigration die off. Matter of fact, you'd have deportation through attrition. You wouldn't have to send out border patrol agents all over the country rounding people up. They would be forced to go once the carrots are taken away. Sure. Now, if you, if you look at the big picture, and if you've got a DEA map, and the map is available online, uh, 
of all the different areas the cartels control in the United States. And the Sinaloa cartel is one of the largest. It has the, the largest number of cities it controls. But you have the Zetas and the Gulf Cartel, uh, Beltran Leva Organization, you know, the Juarez Cartel. You have all these different cartels have all their fingers all over the United States. If you got that map and you overlaid it on top of the map of the sanctuary cities in the United States, it's the same map. Wow, I mean, and I think a lot of those cities are in California. Well, they're all over the country. California is number one on the list, but they're all over the country. Now, where we have a problem is that the sanctuary cities embold illegal activity. They embold the cartels to set up shop because they know immigration is not going to be notified if they're there. It embolds the criminal aliens and the transnational crime organizations to come into the United States and set up shop because they know immigration will not be notified by those uh, localities. So you take an incident like you had out in California with Kate Steinle. We had a four-time prior deport in the, in the midst of San Francisco. They knew he was there, and they didn't do anything about letting immigration know that he was there. A four-time prior deport, it is a felony. He's, he, because of his background of criminal activity, that's how he got deported in the first place. He was looking at 20 years in prison if immigration was notified about it. They weren't. What did this guy do? He went out and murdered this young lady. But that's not the only one. You have illegal aliens killing people all over the United States, and they know there will be no ramifications from the federal government because they are secure in these communities by these politicians. Now, it is against the law. Number one, to come into the United States illegally. They keep on saying, oh, it's not a crime. It is a crime. 8 U.S.C. 1325. It's illegal to come into the United States, period. 8 U.S.C. 1326 is a felony for coming into the United States after you've been deported. And the other law I want to cite is 8 U.S.C. 1324. Now, this one in particular is a pretty encompassing law because it addresses different things, such as hiring illegal aliens, harboring, aiding, and abetting. Every one of these politicians, every one of these chiefs of police, every one of these sheriffs that do not uh, report an alien to uh, to the immigration and know this person is in the United States illegally can be charged with these crimes. So what I'm saying is that every one of these people violated their oath of office to protect the Constitution of the United States, and the laws of the United States. They don't have a right to deny or to ignore the laws of this country. And that is what's happening. And we have anarchy anarchy being uh, emboldened by the conduct of these elected officials. And nobody's being held accountable, which they need to be held accountable. 8 U.S.C. 1373 prohibits these elected officials from not allowing their employees to notify immigration. Bet you people didn't know that one either. Yeah. And I remember uh, back in my days in, in high school, you know, working for fast food joints, we were, you know, that was part of hiring people as you had to report. And, you know, quite honestly, a lot of people got turned away because it was found that their papers were fake or they weren't legal or, or whatever. Um, so are you saying that that is happening much less that we're just not caring about their paperwork and we're hiring them anyways and, and all that sort of stuff? It, is, it has gotten worse. It hasn't gotten better. We had E-Verify, and it's one of these pick-or-choose type uh, uh, processes. The uh, Chamber of Commerce is probably the, 
they're the biggest handicap around. Uh, they are so against immigration enforcement. It's, it's almost laughable. But what's happening is that people in the inner cities, our children, our young people getting out of school, they're all being impacted by this. If you go back to 1986, the big amnesty under Reagan, there were only supposed to be 900,000 people that were going to get a, a benefit from this legalization. And it turned out to be 2.4 million people. Now, those were farm workers. These okay. were people that were on the farms that, were, that got the special agricultural worker legalization. What did they do once they got that card? They left the farms. And what happened to our middle class? They lost their jobs because they became builders. They became wall constructors. They took middle class uh, blue collar jobs from our people. Because they had the, the legal uh, papers. They had the, exactly. But with illegal immigration comes with a lot of crimes on top of it. So once the people come into the United States illegally, of course, they're going to have to get some sort of documentation. The document mills in this country are just spinning out of control. They can come up with any kind of documentation you want, and that's what these people do. I can understand that business employers are not immigration officers. They don't know how to look at fraudulent documents, so these people get hired. Sure. The, pro the problem is, is that the government refuses to work with the other agencies, like with Social Security, IRS, ICE, FBI, uh, Border Patrol, whatever. They still will not do that, even though, if you go back to the 9-11 Commission, they were directed to do that. That's why the Department of Homeland Security was uh, created in 2003, was to address all this. Well, it hasn't. It's gotten actually a lot worse, because now, under immigration and naturalization, you had uh, investigations, you had Border Patrol, you had Citizenship and Immigration Services. Now, those composites that used to work together, and, and it was one agency— is now spread apart this huge conglomerate called Department of Homeland Security, and nobody works with anybody. So what do you think is the main reason that no one's uh, you know, picking up this drop ball? Is it just too expensive to enforce? Is it a Republican-Democrat thing? It, it's politicians in general. You, you mentioned earlier how expensive it would to uh, build this wall. I would say it would cost probably around $12 billion to build the wall as or the fencing, as designed back in 2006. And okay. I think it would be very elaborate. It would be very helpful to have a three-tier fence along the entire border. And it gives the border patrol agents, once the sensor goes off, these people still have to go through a couple more barriers, and it gives them time to get there because the border's huge. We don't have a hell of a lot of border patrol agents taking care of our country, so it gives them time to respond sure. before these people get away. Now, you take that figure, and that's a... You know, $12 billion for many, many years, this fence will be there. If you look at the total expense that we pay every single year for illegal alien education, medical, social services, whatever, it's over $100 billion a year that we spend on illegal immigration. I think that fence would be a one heck of a deal compared to what we're spending. Now, sure. the other thing people wonder, well, how are we going to get that money? I'll tell you how. You take it out of the foreign aid that we give to these countries. You start deducting it. You want to, uh, if, if we have to pay for deportation and, and jailing these people, make those host countries pay for it. Make Mexico pay for the incarceration of their people. Make them pay for the deportation or repatriation of the people back to Mexico or whatever country they come from. 
make these home countries responsible for what, what their people are doing to our people. You know, one of the things that Donald, you mentioned Donald Trump earlier, one of the things he said was that he wants to build a wall and wants to make Mexico pay for it. How, how do you make a country pay for, for these sort of things, for the wall or for the jailing or, or the deportation? I'm not sure what he's thinking, but what I'm thinking is you start deducting from the uh, foreign aid that we give to Mexico every year, and we're going to get some reimbursement out of this. It's not going to pay for the entire wall, of course, but over a period of time it will. But if they're getting $900 million a year from us or whatever figure it is, you start deducting 25 50% a year from them until it's all paid for. Okay, makes sense. We're, you know, giving, them, we're giving them money. Why not? To, let's start deducting what we're giving them. Yeah, sure. So it's not so much like, hey, you owe us, you know, write us a check. It's just we're not going to give you this money. We're going to keep it and, and build a wall. That, that's not going to happen. And I don't know what Mr. Trump is actually thinking on how he <laughs> it, But, you know, he, he may have some, some idea that we just don't know. But it, it, just from my point of view, I would say that we go after the, uh, the financial aid that we give these countries around the world. Now, our southern border is not open just to Mexico. It's open to people from around the world. We have Syrians coming across the border right now. We have Cubans that are come in, in mass coming across our border right now today are coming across our border. It's mind-boggling what's going on around the country and how the southern border is it seems like it's the conduit of the world coming into this country. And people just don't understand. You mentioned illegal aliens, and the first thing people think about, oh, Mexico. No, 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 no. That's not that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Yes, we do have illegal aliens coming from Mexico, but we have them coming from all over the world through that southern border and the northern border. But we do have it. Now, the other thing that people will not address is non-immigrants. Now, non-immigrants, they come into the United States with a visa or without a visa if they're a visa waiver. And they're here for a specific period of time. It could be uh, three months, 90 days, six, uh, six months, 180 days, whatever the case might be. Sure. That's where the other 50% of the illegal alien population comes from are those that come here legally to start off with but then violate the uh, provisions of their status. And they decide to stay because, heck, we're making a pretty good deal here. We can get education for our kids. We can do medical. We can do all this stuff. So you have your illegal aliens coming across the southern border, but you also have – illegal aliens that eventually become illegal aliens that come in legally with a visa. One of the biggest threats of this country are the visa waivers. Now, the visa waivers, as long as they have a valid passport and they come from the 38 different uh, signatory countries that we have an agreement with, they can come into the United States without a visa. All they have to do is have a valid, unexpired passport. Hmm. Now, If you take a look at what's going on in Europe, who we have these agreements with, and now we're dealing with first and second generation um, uh, people that that have uh, set up shop in in Europe, in Britain, in those different countries, Uh they can come into the United States with this visa. And I'm referring to the Middle Easterners that have taken up shop and have, have... are living in Europe now who mean us harm. If you look at the different terrorist attacks that have happened in this country, every single one has been through either a refugee, as in Boston, Mm -hmm. uh, non-immigrants that did San Bernardino, non-immigrants that brought our World Trade Center down. It only took 19 of those to do that. 
Now, imagine a mass influx coming in. The visa waiver program is almost like a Trojan horse. Hmm. And once they get here and they, and they mingle into the communities and they become part of the communities, they're a ticking time bomb. And all it takes is a phone call it's for them to act. And, and, and we shot ourselves in the foot. And people don't get a grasp of that. So even if we said, hey, no more illegal immigrants, here's a wall, people like them could still easily come on over. Exactly. And, and what, what really is mind-boggling over this is that the federal government, although they, they do the biometrics and the people coming to the United States, they take a fingerprint and they take a photograph, they don't track them once they get out of that port of entry. Once they're into the United States, they're home free because there is no tracking program. They track when they leave through the airlines. So the airlines will gather information on their flight manifest and they'll report it back to ICE. But they don't know who has remained behind. Hmm. And they're supposed to. They're supposed to have an entry exit visa program. So you know who's coming in and you know who's going out. And anybody that violates that, the police know about it. Why they don't enter these people into uh, the NCI? C system, which is the National Crime Information Center, that these people, once they get to a specific point in their visa pro, uh, duration, their name automatically should be going into NCIC that they haven't deported, and if any police officer encounters them after their visa expires, arrest them. Sure, I, I and, can and turn that makes them over sense. To ICE. Turn them over to ICE. Let ICE deal with them. Mm-hmm. But they do it. Look at the sanctuary cities. They won't go after criminals, and you think they're going to go after non-immigrants? No, they're not going to go after non-immigrants. They're home free. And they know it. And is this because the police don't want to deal with lawsuits, or they're lazy? I mean, or is this just a horrible setup uh, program? I, I have police officer friends from all over the country, and they are absolutely frustrated the way they have to deal with ICE and their own politicians who have come down with these edicts on what they can and cannot do. They can't arrest these illegal aliens based on what the mayor and the chief of police wants under the sanctuary cities. And then you have immigration that came up, or uh, Department of Homeland Security came up with this insane PEP, and that's a priority enforcement program. What they did, they came up with three tiers of aliens that they're primarily interested in. Number one, they want terrorists. Okay. That's, <laughs> number two, they want felons. Okay. Sure. And number three, which is down at the bottom of the pecking order, are People under orders of deportation. And nowhere in those three tiers does it say any illegal alien. So the illegal aliens, you know, the non-immigrants and all, they're not going after them. Yeah, not at all. Um, nope. Except, I guess, in Arizona, they're kind of starting to go after them. Well, you you have local sheriffs that are... are, are they're adamant about taking care of their citizens and they want to protect their citizens and they will... Exercise 287G. Now, 287G was also part of a law that came out in 1996 under the Immigration Act that was passed back then. And that gave all police officers around the country with the training the authority to arrest illegal aliens and turn them over to immigration. Okay. Matter, matter of fact, shortly thereafter, there were these um, – uh, QRTs or quick response teams, and that they were designed by immigration that were around the country because the police and local officials wanted immigration presence to deal with this. So they set up all these little offices around the country to help the local officials. 
And it worked very well. I ran one in Idaho, uh, in Utah for many years. We would work directly with the local police departments. We would arrest these felons, and we were moving people off the streets left and right and deporting them. Once Department of Homeland Security came into uh, fruition in 2003, that basically came to a screeching halt. The reason being is that Department of Homeland Security uh, absorbed several different agencies. One of them was Customs, and the other was Immigration. They also have Secret Service and some others. But the problem is, is that Department of Homeland Security took away the um, the need for immigration enforcement. They became more interested in looking for counterfeit Gucci bags and going after illegal aliens <laughs> that were killing people. And I'm not kidding. I, I, that, that's exactly where, where it is right now. Yeah. They're not interested in going after the people that can actually commit crimes. Of all the different issues we have going on in the country, all of them, there's only one that comprises all of our problems from economic to medical to disease to everything else, terrorism, it's immigration. But that's not on anybody's list. If you look at, if you go online and you see what's the most important thing that you want our politicians to address, you don't see immigration on it. They're, they're talking about, well, Planned Parenthood and, you know, uh, uh, same-sex marriage and all these different things are more important than their national security. If they don't get their national security uh, straightened out, they're not going to have to worry about this other stuff because it's not going to exist. And as far as uh, people, as in like the voters, you know, thinking about this and, and what they want their politicians to do, I almost feel like some of the problem is the extreme sides of both the Republicans and the Democrats, because on the Democrats, you have, oh, hey, we can't do anything. Let's let's let them all be here. And then on the Republicans, you have, you know, like Trump. Hey, let's kick out all the Muslims. Let's build walls. Let's kill the immigrant. It, it seems like we need someone a little more in the middle to kind of bring it into perspective. We do. We have to have moderate moderation. It's understandable that farmers need uh, employees to, to pick crops. And there's ways that have been done before, and it can be done again, through, like through the Bracero prog- uh, program, where uh, immigrants were brought into the United States for a specific period of time to help harvest the uh, crops and then go back home. And that worked pretty well. But when, to- when 1986 came around and you had these um, uh immigrants work in the farms becoming permanent residents then it created a huge vacuum of the need of more farm workers well you had all these farm workers you want them legalized we told you what was going to happen but you went ahead and legalized them and what do you have you don't have employees now you want more and what's going to happen we're going to bring them all back in and we're going to have another one of these uh special agricultural worker amnesty programs well that doesn't work you can't keep on doing that and you can't keep on giving a class of people Amnesty. You have to. It, it, you know, I, I have no problem with amnesty on a case by case basis because everybody's got a problem somewhere, somewhere that could, that maybe they could benefit from it. So I'm not saying not to do it, but on the scheme of things, this mass idea of legalizing people every time you don't enforce the law and you end up with a multiplication of problems, you can't wipe it away by giving amnesty or legalization. You got to be smart about it. Um, you, you take our school kids. We've had a mass influx of uh, children from Central America and other countries coming to the United States, and they get farmed out into our public schools. Yeah. These, these kids are not vetted as far as their medical or anything else, and we have got diseases popping up all over this country. 
TB is on the rise. Typhoid's on the rise. You've got the Zika virus that's out there now. You've got um, leprosy that's been uh, popping up. You've got all these exotic diseases that we got rid of. Now they're coming in because we don't vet or screen people appropriately. The immigration process is very good. People do apply. They get vetted. They get screened. It's orderly. And, and we've even increased the number of people that can immigrate to the uh, country to almost a million people a year can immigrate to this country. Wow. But when you start bringing in people that don't go through the process, it endangers everybody. We don't know who they are. We don't know if they mean us ill will. We don't know if they're carrying diseases. But they're just coming in by the droves, and the Border Patrol can't do anything about it except release them because that's what they've been told to do, catch and release. And. You know, this kind of ties into something you mentioned earlier. You were talking about healthcare here in this country, whether it's a you know city where they have sanctuary or not. Our healthcare system is do not turn anybody away. To me, that's contributing to the problem. It, but at the same time, how do you not you know help someone that's been shot or stabbed or dying of a disease? You know, what can we do with with the healthcare of these illegal immigrants to to make them not so inclined to be here, but also to not let them die on the front porch? Well, you you, you got to use compassion with everything that you do. I, I mean, I'm a first generation American. I've got a son from son in law from Colombia. I've got a daughter in law from Russia. And I, I'm around this, um, and they're and they're absolutely phenomenal people. So you can do things with compassion, but you have to put an end to it by quit advertising what what they're going to do. Yes, they go to an emergency room, they're going to get free medical care, whatever the case might be, for that specific ailment. Once they're stabilized, they need to be removed from the country. We give them the medical care to, to get them on their feet, but their home country needs to have some responsibility in this. We can't, we cannot financially do this we, we're at a tipping point right now at 19 trillion dollars i don't know how much more we can handle and then to have it exasperated even more by bringing in more illegal aliens. now they're talking about the refugees and looking at these refugees there might be 10 percent of those that are actually from the war-torn syria but if you look at the maps that are coming out from the intelligence community most of them are coming in from africa and the sinai peninsula and, and, and other countries so they're sort of just jumping on ship to, to come on over. It, it, it's a huge Trojan, uh, huge Trojan horse. Once you mention amnesty or, or refugee status, these people are coming in droves. And let's talk about that for a minute. You know, what is a refugee? A refugee is somebody that feels fierce persecution. They're in a war-torn zone. You know, they're starving, whatever the case might be. And we have one hell of a compassionate country to deal with this, and we do. We do it all the time. Yeah. But if you take a look at what's going on in Europe, you please, somebody point out a poor, starving refugee out of that whole bunch there. They look at as young, strong, adult men with cell phones. Every single one of them. As soon as they get off the boat, they're on their cell phone. How do they do that? These tens of thousands of people. And then they're, uh, the things that they are doing in Europe, the rapes, the brutality and, and rioting going on because they don't get what they want right away from these countries is astounding. And this is the same process that wants to come over here. Now, let's go back to refugees. Mm -hmm. To be a refugee, you go through the U.N. You know, you present your case to the U.N. The U.N. says, yeah, okay, we, we, we think you have a viable case here. We're going to notify the United States government, whatever host country. 
you get the NGOs, which are the non-government organizations involved. And eventually, if these people you know, pass muster, so to speak, they're not going to get vetted very well because there's no possible way to do it. Right. But if they get health screened, they're brought into a host country that promises to take care of them for the first year, then they have to apply for immigrant status. Now, the other thing on this, which is the bad one, is the asylees. Now, asylum seekers, they don't go to the UN. They don't go anywhere except go right to the country they want to go and say, I'm being persecuted. I want to stay. I'm claiming asylum. That's what's going on on our southern border because we've got the Syrians coming in. We've got the Cubans coming in. They're all claiming asylum. And we, by law, have to take them in and, and keep them in custody. We're supposed to, but we're not. And then we have to vet them. We have to vet through their criminal records, their health screening, all this, all this stuff to find out who these people are. But common sense will tell you there is no possible way, unless they actually have a criminal record in the United States, we're not going to get any information from their home country. We never do. Never have. Sure. So, Especially if they're running from their home country. Exactly. You take Damascus or uh, you know Af- any place in Afghanistan, Iran, or, or I should say Iraq, Yemen, Somalia, all these different countries where these uh, asylum applicants come from. Where are these databases that they supposedly vet these people from? They don't exist. If you take uh, what's going on over in Syria with ISIS, ISIS got a hold of the uh, government building that held all the official blank passports for the country of Syria. And now what the uh, ISIS are doing, and these, these guys are not al-Qaeda. These are, these are well, well-educated people. We have got a formidable adversary with these guys. They have the ability to do all sorts of things. So you have all these people carrying Syrian passports now coming into Europe through Greece or through Italy. And in fact, in France, when they had the attack uh, about a month or two ago, several of these people had these fake or altered Syrian passports. And, And now they're looking at coming into the United States. We think, you know, Hey, this is a valid passport. That's a valid picture. That's a valid thumbprint. This is a, a valid person by the name that's on this passport. But there's no way to vet it, to find out that is really the person that we're dealing with. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no you, there needs to be a way to you know scan the passport so it shows well, if it's real or not. But there's not. No, there's not. When we scan it, you know, Syria, these uh, Middle Eastern countries do not have the capabilities we do as far as maintaining databases. Now, when they come into the United States, of course, we're going to scan the passport, but there's not going to be anything to vet it against. Even uh, direct FBI Director Comey says, there's no way to vet these people, and there's not. You have one bunch of people saying, oh, yeah, they're thoroughly vetted. that We keep them for two years before they're brought into the United States. Well, that's absolute nonsense because they're coming in now. This crisis started six months ago, eight months ago, mm-hmm. and now they're coming into the United States without being vetted properly and put into these communities around the country. But you don't know who you're getting. And as far as uh, my peers and I, this is a Trojan horse. This is, this is the setup for, the, for a big one because we don't know who we're dealing with. Yeah. You know, we, we mentioned Muslims in the Middle East. I hate to keep bringing this around to Donald Trump, but he's kind of you know, relevant in the news right now. He talks about no Muslims in the country at all. We can't let anybody over. 
is that going a little overboard, or do you think that's the only way to make things safe around here? Well, I, you know, Donald Trump does get out there and he, and he and he hits the nerve of people, and you know, people are concerned about what's going on. Mm-hmm. But no, you you can't eliminate all Muslims from coming to the United States. A lot of them are U.S. citizens. A lot of them are immigrants to the country. They have green cards. Where I would agree is that refugees and asylum applicants not be allowed to the United States. And I think that is the direction Mr. Trump was going. I don't think he meant all people because that's insane. You can't deny a U.S. citizen to come to this country. They might be Muslim citizens. You can't do that. But you can restrict the flow. And under the uh, Immigration Act of uh, 1952, yes, you can restrict who comes to this country. We have the right to pick and choose who comes to this country. No one has a right to come into this country. No foreign national has a right to come to this country unless they're a U.S. citizen. And even permanent residents don't have a right to come into this country. We allow them, if they present themselves for inspection, to come in and continue their process in the country. But only a U.S. citizen is uh, uh, permitted into the United, uh, United States, unfettered. But anybody else, there's no, there is no right, and we can restrict anyone we want. It sounds like uh, we gave, we gave more trouble to the Irish coming in, you know, a hundred years ago than we're given to uh, potential terrorists coming in right now. Oh, uh, we, we did, we did. It's interesting. All right, so to kind of uh, bring it all together, we've talked about building walls. We've talked about healthcare. All these issues that are affecting immigration, the sanctuary cities. Is there? Or what would you say is the one thing that would have the biggest impact? Would it be just building the wall would have the biggest impact or the health care or what, no. what would you think? The, the biggest impact would not be the wall per se. I mean, that, that does give us a buffer of security. But no matter how high you build that fence or how wide, there's going to be a ladder that can get over it. Sure. It's a deterrent. And that's exactly what it is. It's a, a deterrent. It's a tool to help the Border Patrol catch you know, drug smugglers bringing stuff into the United States. I think the number one, uh, number one, we need to address the carrots that entice people to come to the United States and want to stay here. And that's our education, medical, government funding, uh, jobs. That has to be addressed. We have to stop that. If you're not here illegally, you're not getting anything. You're going back home. And put an end to this. Put your, we have the laws. We don't need immigration reform. We have to reform politicians to enforce the law. That's what we need to reform in. Mm-hmm. Second, sanctuary cities. They need to get their, uh, their, their legs cut out from underneath them by mm-hmm. taking away funding, any kind of uh, government support or finance. It needs to stop until they get on board and treat all criminals like criminals. If you're here as a criminal, you need to go through the process if it, if you're a foreign national, you need to be turned over to immigration, period. No questions asked. Sure. If you're illegally, you go back. Now, if people do get arrested by immigration, they still go through a process. They go to an immigration judge, and they can plead their case. And not everybody's got the same issues going on. Maybe there's a mitigating circumstance. But there is a due process involved in this. People don't just get rounded up and shipped across the border. There is due process. They do go through an immigration judge where they can plead their case. And if they have a viable reason not to go back, the judge will listen. And a lot of them get granted uh, preferential, uh, preferential treatment. But if you're a criminal, you don't have any right to stay here. You need to go home. Yeah, that makes total sense. Before we end, I, w- 
I found um, a, a little, I guess, bio on you, if you don't mind. Um, I found that you were a or are an expert in man tracking. Yeah, that was back in the day when I was pounding the sand. <laughs> but you've since gone on to teach many counties and, and other agencies about this. What is, you know, what's involved in man tracking? You know, a lot of people think like, oh, the, you know, the Indian puts his ear to the ground and listens for so and so. It's pretty close to that. Really? I did te- yeah, I did. I did teach uh, for many years, uh, different agencies out West. And uh, what it is, is it, we call it sign cutting uh, and man tracking. And you learn techniques on depressions in the sand, dirt, soil, surrounding environment on when somebody passes through, there's different things to look for that are normal in nature and then abnormal when a human comes through because there's certain geometric patterns, there's all sorts of things that go on. And in the process of this, you can determine, uh, sometimes you can determine the actual sex of the person based on the, their gait, their, the way they walk, the, the length of their stride. Um, wow. you can, you can determine, uh, if they're carrying something by their heel impression versus toe impression, you can determine what time of day they came through, how long ago they came through, uh, whether it be, uh, uh, you know, through observation in, uh, rocky areas and all, or through forest, you can look at branches that have been broken, how dry the sap is. I mean, there's, a, there's a lot that goes into this and it's a lengthy course. For people to do and and of course you have to practice it sure but that's how border patrol gets its bread and butter we've tracked many 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 loads for 25 30 miles during a shift on foot wow so it's uh you know very bear grills survivalist-esque stuff well yeah it is uh, and and you and you learn because uh i mean the, these cartels are out there to you know to bring in their drugs and they're going to fight you when they get an opportunity and you need to know what you're dealing when you're out on foot. We don't normally drive with partners. So you're out by yourself and then you have another unit that comes in maybe a couple miles ahead of you to see if they can cut that sign. In other words, intercept the sign. If they don't, hmm. then you both converge in opposite directions to see if you can find them. And there's been many cases that we've found guys that, uh, we're carrying lots of, uh, uh, contraband and they were armed and you know and it's an element of surprise to get them because they weren't expecting you to do it because they would go out there and try and hide their track by walking on sponges or using uh, cow hooves i mean you could come up <laughs> with it. Uh, it, it the things that we've seen out there is just absolutely amazing but you can tell if it's human or not just by stride and gait and, and things like that interesting and uh finally i, I listener question wanted to know what your most violent situation you've encountered was Oh, gosh. Um, there's been lots of them, but there's one in particular where it was a, a pretty good shooting going on, and it was in eastern El Paso, and it was enough to to uh, uh, make me come to God. Um, wow. it, was, it was one of these deals where we were I was watching the border highway and silhouetting uh, people crossing the levee from Mexico. They cross, uh, The way it works is that they would come across the river in Mexico and up over a levee and then onto border highway. And then, you know, a vehicle would come by, pick them up and move on. And this one particular night I was watching and I saw these guys come across the, the levee and it was, I guess it was two or three o'clock in the morning. 
mm-hmm. but they were being silhouetted. So I could see that they were carrying duffel bags and they, the truck came by and, and they put the stuff in the back of the truck and they took off. And then uh, I got in behind them and we started a pursuit and went on for a long time. They ended up back in the same area. And when they bailed out of the car, they started firing at us. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's, it, but that, that was part of, part of the, the deal down there. You don't, you don't know what you're going to run into. Sure. I mean, it sounds like a probably a fairly common occurrence down there. It is. And, Unfortunately. Uh, there's, there's been many people killed down there. Uh, you know, you take, uh, one of our guys, Brian Terry, who was killed out in Arizona with fast and furious, um, He's he's just an example of what the border patrol goes through every single day. You don't know what you're going to deal with, and the sad part is, is when the federal government is involved uh, indirectly or you know complicit with your death. It's it, it's it's mind boggling, and that's what happened with Brian. Yeah, sad. I'm very sad because we still haven't gotten an answer on why his murder investigation was hidden in an executive privilege signed by the president. It's uh, unprecedented. It's, it hasn't happened before. So something very um, nefarious has got to be in that report for that kind of attention by the president of the United States. Let me ask you this. I meant to ask you before we started, you know, do you have any books out? No, I, I have no books out. Um, I was always tempted to sit down and write one out, but I just don't know how to get started. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work. Well, there's a lot. To, you just don't know what to put in there so much. Do you have a uh, social media where people can, can find you or... Well, uh, they can go to our um, our uh, Border Patrol uh, site for the National Association of Former Border Patrol Officers, and we generally have that pretty pretty up to date. And that's uh, www.nafbpo.org, and um, there's ways to leave messages on there and uh, see what we're up to. There's also a comprehensive immigration reform that we wrote up that would address on how to address the illegal alien problem, how to return people uh, without the big roundups. Can you give us a little bit of that? Well, the, the uh, Comprehensive Immigration Enforcement Reform Program was written by NAFBBO a couple of years ago, and we've delivered it to the Senate, Congress. Uh, I went up to uh, Mr. Trump's office uh, back uh, in December and provided his office with uh, four copies of it. Interesting. And it gives – whether or not he's read it, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but his office has it and so, so does uh, many others. But it addresses uh, the different aspects of uh, our illegal alien problem and how to address it appropriately and what we need to do. And the, and the big things are is going after the carrots uh, that bring illegal aliens here. And there's ways uh, we, we bring up to address farmers that have the need for – you know, non uh, for immigrants to, to work their farms for a specific period of time. We address the non-immigrant program, visa waiver program. And uh, hopefully it's something that uh, our politicians would, would pay attention to because it's common sense. It's not uh, irrational. It's not to the left. It's not to the right. It's right down the line. And it's, it, it, it's just common sense immigration enforcement. Uh, you know, we do take into effect that uh, into account that people do have issues, and you know everybody has a uh, has a story, and it doesn't say go out and round everybody up. That's not what we're about. Uh, but we are for immigration enforcement. Number one on our books is the sanctuary cities, in addition to the carrots. Well, thank you so much, uh, David, for, for spending time. I think 
if we can take away one thing from what you and the association has to say, it's, it's not that you're anti-immigration. You're just uh, pro-national security. Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's great. The one thing you just said was your, your plan, uh, the association's plan, keeps it right down the middle. And like I said earlier in the interview, I think the most important thing that we need to do is, is get it in the middle, having things on both extremes. It just has people fight against each other over what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, I get so tired of hearing people, you know, we need to put machine guns up and all this other crap. And that's what it is. It's, 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 it doesn't make sense. You have, you have to look at this um, pragmatically and how to address it for the good of the country um, and, and get it done. Get politicians in there that will enforce the laws we currently have. That's, that's all we're saying. Yeah, enforce the laws that we have, and and they're good laws. I mean, the people can immigrate to this country. There's nothing to stop them from immigrating to this country, but they have to, you know, go through the process. I mean, my family did it. My my son-in-law's family did it. My daughter-in-law did it. They can do it. You know, uh, a lot of the guys that I worked with, their families came from uh, from overseas, and they they were tremendous border patrol agents. The best people I ever worked with in my life are from uh, foreign countries. It only but makes it can sense. be it can be done. Yeah. You just you, you you just can't exploit a weakness of a country and then expect that you know we're going to patch on the head. You know, if people took a look at the laws of Mexico, it, Mexico's immigration laws, we wouldn't be having this discussion because you talk about archaic. That's a country that's got archaic immigration laws, but yet they're dictating to us how we should accept you know uh, illegal aliens from Mexico. Of course. And it, it, you know, you just got to bang your head against the wall and go, what are they talking about? Look at their laws. Yeah. Well, you know? I think, like you said, common sense is, is the way to go here. Absolutely. So, all right. Well, David, thank you so much. Once again, the website, nafbpo.org. David, thank you so much for spending the oh, time today. Oh, you're quite welcome. Thank you once again to David P. Ward. Look, I really like the fact that he wasn't here to plug anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but he just wanted to uh, plug patriotism. As we'll say, he just wanted to talk about uh, security, talk about immigration, get some facts passed across. And like I said, David is not anti-immigration. He's just pro-security. Once again, that website, if you want to check out the association, is NAFBPO. So thanks again to David for taking the time. And like I said at the top of the show, if you guys want to send in your responses or more questions or anything like that, maybe we can spark another episode with David. You can send them to I want to know Pod. Pod at gmail.com. That's all I have for you guys today. Thanks for listening. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for telling a friend about the show. Make sure you do. You can find the show at I want to know show.com. Get it on Facebook, facebook.com slash I want to know show on Twitter at I want to know show. And when you tell your friends about the show and they ask, how do I listen to I want to know? You can say, they're on every single podcast app you can think of. In fact, if you find one and you search for I Want to Know and it's not there, I demand you let me know immediately because I would like to fix that. So rate and subscribe on iTunes, all of that good stuff. Thank you to you guys. And once again, thank you to David. And on that note, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.